0: Dream Star Institute presents Dreamwork with Dr. Scott Sparrow. Episode five: My continuing conversation with J.M. Deboard on the anima and the shadow, how dreams hold us to task, and the importance of respecting our dream characters. Yeah, I often think of the uh, shadow and the anima as being in, well, co-conspirators, if you will, because. Yes in a sense the enema if, if it's our inner soul feminine side for man wants us to be whole wants to be partnered with a whole self rather than this one-sided hero or whatever we think we are and so in a way it has that kind of tricksterish nature trying to get us to uh, become aware of what we've denied so that she if you will can be in a partnership with the whole person so i, I often find that the uh, anima enema takes on the image of like the hideous damsel did for Parsifal in the Holy Grail myth. You know, when you read like psychological
1: sources on it or or, uh, mythological literature sources and stuff, she's viewed as kind of the lady on the hill that the knight, you know, the man is pining for. Yes, right. I will do anything for you, you know, you're the love of my life, I will go out and slay the dragon for you. In um, Robert Johnson's books on the Parsifal Myth, and I remember running across that part of it where he's just slayed the Red Knight, which has been his hero's journey, you know, he's at the pinnacle of his experience. He's the man And he managed to do it, which many people don't even get to that point, you know, Yeah. they lose the battle and then he finds out that you know i mean she comes riding in on the mule and she looks <laughs> yeah. like she just you know came out of a pigsty yeah
0: you know, right
1: this very unappealing figure she's no longer you know the image of venus the most beautiful thing you've ever seen
0: you know when when the enema came in my dream and she had the book of my sojourns the book of my incarnations allegedly and she said uh, I have followed you all of your sojourns and I am angry. Yes. That's when she reached up and scratched my face. Well, I woke up terrified and feeling like, oh my gosh, you know, a nightmare. This is terrible. But then I felt the caring when she said, I have followed you. You know, the the love that would follow me through all that and still find, want me to be better. I mean, that's a huge gift as well as a a shocking wake-up call
1: which i think is a great way
0: of conceiving of the what our dreams are
1: doing for us you know they are sometimes their role is to challenge us when we need to be challenged um, to break us out of habitual patterns of behavior and perception and feeling it's i i think of it as you know sometimes you when you read about a really good coach like Let's just say a Bill Belichick, for example, like um, the, the coach of the New England Patriots. Um, he, If you read behind the scenes about what has made him such a great coach with all those Super Bowl victories and stuff, you find that a lot of it has to do with his day-to-day interactions with his players and his ability to be able to get the most out of them. And the way that he does that is in a very challenging sort of way. And sometimes it's confrontational. And sometimes it's just kind of like, you know, you didn't give me your best today on the field. And the players end up feeling like it's kind of like when dad says, I'm disappointed. Disappointed. You Mm -hmm. You know, and that they react, you know, in this way inside of them that says, you know, because the difference between professional performance and the performance that he can get out of players that win Super Bowls is what, I mean... A slight degree of difference but you see it happen over and over again with with his players and I think it's because he is is so brilliant psychologically with knowing how to motivate them and I can see dreams as being in that same, just to use it as a comparison for what they are doing for you there are times that they are harsh but in the end it's for your growth and in the end it's because they love you what your anima said to you And that, I mean, that is the very definition of the word profound,
0: if you ask me. Agree. You know, I had a dream one time when Jesus appeared in the dream, and I'd been uh, on a journey. I knew I'd been away, not doing what I needed to do for a long time. And when I turned a corner, there he was with all the disciples, and they're facing me. And he he started, uh, he threw two lances at me, both of which impaled my arms against the wall not through my flesh but through my my shirt so I wasn't harmed but I was impaled and pretty heavy I'm pretty like alarmed by now and he says I've come to show you what you've built and I only do so because your father wants me to and because I do it so well yes (laughs) so then I'm catapulted into an arena with a gladiator who is getting ready to kill me. And I woke up in terror. So I, I, I think what you just said about the dream is being profound, but loving to this sense of wanting to usher us further, wanting to take us to our into our blind spot and beyond. And that the anima who scratched my face and the Jesus who threw the lances, I think is one and the same, you know, impelling spirit that wants the best for us, won't leave us alone and, um, kind of guarantee our arrival in time once we wake up and respond appropriately so it's reacting to what you need individually to motivate you
1: to go further than you maybe would go on your own
0: yeah right
1: i had Just to face like the, the coach fact that,
0: yeah i had to face the fact that that gladiator was my own anger my own violence you know and i had to uh, get get in touch with that right and integrate it and i couldn't skip that Yeah,
1: (laughs) boy, you know, people expect Jesus to come like a lamb into their dreams, and he came Mm -hmm. like a lion into yours, man. Yeah, yeah, Yeah.
0: right. (laughs) (laughs) You know, Jung was really big to talk about that consciousness is created out of dissonance or conflict. He talks about the need to be in the tension of opposites, and that through that, bearing that tension of opposites, which he thought was symbolized by the cross, that consciousness was created, that the self self was created through that, that tension. So I think of the dream as starting with dissonance, that there would be no dream unless there's some dissonance that is felt that then coalesces into an encounter with whatever the contrary element is, new, old, unpleasant, pleasant. And that that, that tension is the creative foundry And the interface of the dream is is kind of the the, the palette of that co-creative process. These things are coming
1: into their dream space to not just teach, but to show them through the experience of the dream that there is more.
0: Yes, and I think we really have to help people with language because people want to try to figure out what it is as if they can kind of finally anchor it and define it. And bring it into uh, categories that are understandable to them. And unfortunately, that results in kind of a reductionistic materialistic conclusion. And I think that this idea of simulation or co-creation allows us to see that that it's you know it's it's many things at once. It's always in flux. It's real, but it's not ever in any kind of um, way that we can reduce it into our usual categories of language. I mean, on one hand, we want the dream to tell us whether we dream about Uncle Joe, if that's Uncle Joe, or not, part of myself. And so we go to the other extreme and say, well, everything is part of ourselves. There's nothing outside of ourselves that we dream about. Then we get into almost a solipsistic, self-centered view that nothing but myself is in the dream. So now we've uh, ruled out any kind of real interface with, uh, other beings, other times and places, which I think is with rather... each other in a dream space. Exactly. Right. So and this has I been a that... big,
1: I was going to say, this has been a big challenge for me. Oh, it's huge. Except that there's something from outside of ourselves can come into the dream space and that it doesn't, every part of the experience of the dream will not fit into the conceptual framework that everything from a dream is a projection of some aspect of ourselves.
0: Right. And and when we do that, a lot of people will balk because they say, well, that's dualistic. That's leading into the same thinking that they used to have in the Middle Ages, where we would talk about the succubus coming into your bedroom and having sex with you or a demon possessing you. Obviously, that's the risk when we start talking about objective entities. But at the same time, I think Jung would be one to say, he was one to say very uh, clearly, that we have to live in a dualistic world that we can't escape it we can't just render it moot by saying well everything's one and and walk away from the idea that there's true difference and true objective entities apart from ourselves and i think that what he's given to me is the idea that we live in a dualistic model we have to accept the autonomy of our dream characters at least possibly in order to grow, that we can't grow simply by rendering them as part of ourselves and dismissing that, that the otherness of the inner self, the otherness of the outer self, other beings, you, me, are part of the growth process, and we really should lean into that and not try to dismiss it by saying it's just a part of me and my dream. I think we lose something, we lose a dialogue, we lose a, a true relationship possibility.
1: Relationship you just pinged the big word for me when you asked initially about my approach to dream interpretation and I talked about the experience of it there was a whole other side of it which I forgot to mention which is that you're approaching your dream life in general and your specific dreams as part of a relationship that you're having it's conceived of as being a relationship with your unconscious self and then for a man, it's the anima as the representation of his unconscious self. For a woman, it's the animus. Um, but again, we're trying to put something that's a mystery into a conceptual framework. It's that's the it, words it? that we yeah. have to be able to describe something that mm-hmm. is a relationship with something that is essentially intangible and dualistic in the sense that it's the other side of the spectrum. Uh, it, everything in, in the universe is created from opposites. So if we are one end of the spectrum and we as human beings in a, mat- in a material form, what is at the other end of the spectrum? Something that is completely the opposite yeah. um, or mostly the opposite. Mm-hmm. And in our dreams, we're having a relationship with it. So I tell people that, or I advise people who want to go further into their dream life, that they want to think of it as having a relationship with another side of, of themselves but it's not necessarily going to present it to them in a form that is most familiar to them because it's maybe coming from an opposite side that is very unfamiliar to them mm-hmm. and they're going to have to get to know it but if you approach it as a relationship then you're going to bring a respect to the process that it's, yeah. this is not just something respect. that is a creation out of your own mind It's Now, I know you're into lucid dreaming, and I'll go off on a tangent a little bit here that relates to this. I have found that there are two very distinct schools of lucid dreaming, and one of them comes from Stephen LaBerge, who is going to say that everything that you experience in the lucid dream environment is a projection of you, and certainly in my experience, most of it appears to be. Mm-hmm. But then there's another side of it, and I'll call it the Robert Wagner side of it, where Robert is it seems to be open to this idea that things can enter into your dream space that are not of you. And that there is this thing behind the curtain, the dream source, that can be called upon in the dream space, in the lucid dream, to respond to you in a way that you couldn't predict or know consciously. And then there is evidence that this is not you in some deep sort of way. You could still say that Robert Wagner's school still could conform to Stephen LaBerge's school because what is being created in the dream space that appears to be from outside of you is actually just being created from some deep inner part of you that you don't understand. But then there's times when these things will happen synchronistically so that you will start seeing things happen in your outer world that was related to what happened in the dream space itself. In other words, physical material reality is responding to what happened in the dream space, which says that whatever the dream source is in the dream, whatever that source is that you appear to be connecting with as sort of this creative spiritual force is also a force that exists in the world. So that tells you what? It doesn't exist solely inside of you.
0: Right. You know, I ask the question, why do you need to believe it's all you? What are you protecting yourself from by believing that? The question, but the same question can be asked of somebody who believes that there are true entities coming in. Uh, What is served by that? Obviously there's an error avoided when Lamberge says they're all parts of ourselves, some era that is similar to avoiding the medieval notion that, you know, the devil made me do it. These demons out there are coming Superstition. into my dream. Yeah. Superstition, right? We avoid that by saying it's all within the soul. But then we become very, I don't know, uh, egocentric, I think, by, by assuming that. What if we're wrong? Uh, what if we're wrong by treating a dream image as it's a part of me when it's really not? Yeah. What's wrong with just treating it respectfully and not knowing? I don't know who you are. I don't know where you're coming from, but I'm going to have a respectful relationship with you regardless of what you are. I think there's nothing wrong with that. That's, that encompasses it all, right? Whether it's yes. me or you or otherwise, I'm still going to do the best I can do in relating to you and treating you as I would if you were real apart from me
1: which is a conclusion
0: that just
1: that you can reach just by understanding that even if the dream character is created from within you a projection yeah. of something about your inner world it's coming from an autonomous part of you you did not create that dream character in the sense no. like an author writes a story It's being created unconsciously, which means it's being created from a side of yourself that is outside of your conscious awareness, which means that you are having a relationship with it. um, That that approach to it is better because you don't know what it really is. Let me um, give another example of this from lucid dreaming. I'm also um, uh, uh, a participant in the lucid dreaming forum at Reddit and there has been a big debate about what you can do with lucid dream characters. Can you treat them as your playthings? And so the prevailing thinking, uh, at least at that forum, which takes more of the Laberge approach to things, mm-hmm. just in general, um, yeah. is that it is it is you creating this thing. It is no better than a hologram. It has no reality. It's interactive. Yes, but your hologram can be too. So let's think of it as an artificially intelligent hologram, but it's still programmed. It has no reality beyond that. When the power cuts off to the hologram, the hologram is gone. There's nothing left of
0: it. Well, it may all be true, but what if the rules of engagement are the same? If uh, the quality of the experience is going to be ruled by the same rules of engagement as if they were a real person, then it doesn't matter whether they're an automaton or not. You're not going to benefit from it unless you abide by this, the one set of rules. What's the point of treating them like they're nobody? What do you get from that? You know, arrogance? It, yeah, exactly. So just on the air, if it's if it's airing,
1: then at least you've erred on the side of caution because you don't exactly. know truly what it is that
0: you're interacting with. I wholeheartedly concur. There's no no potential error in that I don't think you can't miss you're like you said you're you're building the right action that you would bring into your waking life it's seamless you're you're exercising the same kind of respect and relational consideration no matter what level you're in I mean the mind wants to render it one way or another it wants to say it's real or not real that's all ultimately it's just a convenient fiction it's just for the ego's sake that we say something's real or not. If it's an experience, as you said earlier, it's our experience, then that should be enough, right? Because it's, it's allowed. Because you don't have to consider
1: what it is that you are harming through your own actions. And I think that this comes down to the very heart of what we are confronting in ourselves as a species at this point in time. And hopefully what we might be able to learn more through our dreams, if we understand that we are in relationship to everything in our dreams, maybe that will extend to us understanding that we are all in relationship to each other, whether or not we have any kind of direct contact with each other. You know, I use the example of the fat cat on Wall Street and you would say, would you do that to your own family? And I think most of them would draw a line and say, "Uh, no. You know, but if it's somebody who's on the other side of the world and your actions are taking their life savings or whatever, or influencing that person in a negative sort of way, you're ripping them off. And just because it's under the rules of the game as defined, doesn't make it right. You know, they would, they can do that to something that is kept at a distance from them and they don't have to consider the personal consequences of it. And so in the same sort of way, we're, we're having a reckoning within ourselves and maybe that's where it has to
0: begin. I agree. You know, one thing I've found about dreams is they are self correcting. You know, the um, dialogue between whether you should be able to do what you want to in your dream state or exercise a kind of waking state ethics. I mean, what if a person acts out and, you know, destroys a horse or has sex with every woman he sees? Uh, you know, that raises a sense of alarm, perhaps, when you hear about it, but when I, when I see the actual course of action over time, I see that people are getting immediate, almost an immediate feedback. The dream has a way of being corrective. So if you, uh, like one time, I, I thought I was going to be a channel healing in a dream, so I walked up to a woman and put my hands on her shoulder and started praying. Well, she turned around, she didn't slap me, but she turned around and gave me a, like, a look like, what the hell, what are you doing? You know, what are you presuming? So she got up and walked away and I thought, hmm. So the dream was immediately a corrective in the sense of my presumption that I was gonna be this super dude healing people. Uh I got feedback. And so I think that when we do uh exercise this kind of hubris, this ego driven exploitation of a dream, the good thing about the dream is it's gonna kick us in the ass pretty quick. I mean, when we abuse somebody across the world because we exploit them for their labor or whatever we're doing at a distance, and we don't feel or take responsibility, the dream is much more, uh, I may say, an immediate taskmaster because we can't get away from it. You know, so I think that I'm not too concerned about the, the supercharged uh, lucid dreamers or you know doing what they want to do because I know they're going to crash and burn like I did. You know, during my early years as a lucid dreamer, I thought I was hot shit. And, you know, I woke up to some pretty hefty uh, corrected experiences of which I've already mentioned a couple. Uh, But I trust that the wonderful thing about the unconscious or the soul is it's going to help us balance. Like Jung said, you know, the the dream is going to be compensating for the one-sidedness of the ego's excesses. Thank you for tuning in again. If you're interested in my work in the field of dream research and lucid dreaming and dream analysis, please go to dreamstarinstitute.com.